Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted, the Christ Central Festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom transforming the world, and reaching nations making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. A long time ago now. We are not in our 20s anymore. And we have two children. We have a daughter called Poppy, who's five, and a son called Ollie, who you may have seen whizzing around the hall. Um, He's three, keeping us busy. And we're just really excited to be here this morning. We're really in faith that God is always speaking to us, and we know that he's going to speak to you this morning. And I just really pray now that the Spirit will open your hearts and your minds and that we can actually just really receive from God this morning and be encouraged um, wherever we are in our stories today that um, God is going to speak and we're going to leave some time um, after the talk this morning to to listen for God really and Chris and I will be excited to pray if anybody would like to be prayed for and to listen to God for one another so we're going to leave some space for that at the end so um, I also felt like God gave me a picture um, when we were preparing to come and it was Partly a reminder of a story of uh, Chris and I hired a tandem a few weeks ago. Don't ever do it. Um, so for those of you who don't know, that's a bike that's got two seats on it. Um, so off we go. Chris is on the front of the tandem. I'm on the back of the tandem, already feeling slightly anxious. Um, and we went on a fairly flat ride. But the guy who loaned the tandem out to us was like, the person on the front has to tell the person on the back exactly what you're doing. So should we do a little reenactment of that? Uh, turning left, braking, gear change, uphill, downhill, person in front, baby running across the way. <laughs> so, a fairly intensive journey, not very relaxing, quite humorous at the end because Chris would normally have just gone for it and just expect me to tailgate on the back. But um, halfway through the ride, I was like, Chris, can we just swap places so you can just experience how awful it was on the back? Um, so we swapped places, your response was. <laughs> it's actually quite scary on the back. <laughs> um, but I felt like... Um, that God actually really spoke to me through that experience and um, I was reminded that that like in our walk with Jesus that Jesus is on the front of the tandem and actually he is always speaking to us and there were times on that bike ride where Chris didn't say anything and I was sitting and trusting there were times where he gave direction and said something sometimes that was really useful because I was like there is a sharp left and sometimes it was like you're changing gear that's not that important but thanks for letting me know um, and just I feel like, yeah, just kind of bring that picture this morning of actually God is, is before us and, and he is speaking to us and sometimes we have to wait and we don't hear God and sometimes God will be very clear with us. So just feel to bring that this morning in, and we're in faith that, that you guys will be encouraged that, that God goes before you in, in what you're doing. So. And also that he's the God that swapped places as well in, in that sense that he, he took the back seat to know what it is like to be human. And so he can fully empathize with your weaknesses and your fears. Um, yet he was without sin, but he knows, he knows exactly what it feels like to feel like you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Excellent. Over to you, Josh. Thanks very much. Okay, um, I was trying to get Freddie to play, but uh, he wasn't too up for it. <laughs> 
Um, just uh, one notice is that uh, all the talks uh, from the Student Twenties are going to be available online, um, and that will happen sometime after the festival. Okay, so I guess a couple of weeks, something like that. Just keep an eye on social media, um, and all the talks will be available. Okay, um, I hope everyone had a fantastic day yesterday. Uh, great in the morning and great time. I, I had a great time in the main meeting as well last night. I hope you did too. Um, it's my great pleasure to introduce Reese. Uh, Reese is uh, all the way over from Vancouver in Canada. Um, so let's please welcome him up. Well, thank you all. It's great to be with you all this morning. I thought I'd just start by introducing myself a little bit in terms of telling some of my story or our story. And, uh, and then what I wanted to do was just draw some, um, uh, draw some points from the life of Daniel uh, as you guys are in this sort of zone or this phase of your lives, uh, looking out in terms of what the future holds. And so what I'd like to do is uh, tell you a little bit of my story, then ask you a bunch of questions. So if you've got any, a pen and some paper, I want to encourage you to get that out. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. And um, uh, my hope is to just help you in terms of thinking through some of the things that God might have for you over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And uh, uh, so, so we're talking long range today. Um, but there's a reason why we're going to talk about that. And I'll, ta- I'll uh, talk about that in a moment. So just to introduce myself to you, um, my... Uh, wife and I, my wife Sarah, do I need to stand back a little bit? Are we struggling with the... Is it okay? All right. Um, my wife Sarah and I both grew up in South Africa. As a teenager, I really got into flying, and my dream in life was to be a fighter pilot. And uh, then as a 15-year-old, uh, just as I was about to go solo, um, I was at a youth meeting one evening, And the guy who was uh, speaking at this youth meeting uh, really spoke about giving God your all. And that sometimes there were things that God required from you, uh, required us to give up in order to serve him. And as this guy was speaking, I knew that God was putting his finger on flying for me. And, And I remember sitting in this chair. In fact, the meeting finished. I was still sitting in this chair for about 45 minutes wrestling with God. God... What happens if I give this up? I don't know whether I want to give this up. Uh, but at the end of the day, came to the decision that if, if God wanted to give it, me to give it up, I was going to give it up. And, uh, and he, I guess he could give it back to me if he wanted to, or he could turn my life in a different direction. And over the next few years, I began to feel a sense of God speaking to me that uh, in the future that I would not live in South Africa, that I would be uh, involved in... Uh, his purposes. I didn't really know what that meant in other nations. And um, so uh, after a couple of years of working in a, in, in a missions organization in, in South Africa, um, through that experience, really, uh, there was this moment, there was this year, 90, 1994, where um, I had a, a mix of things kind of happened to me. One was that I got involved in a church that went on to join New Frontiers, and um, I began to see the contrast of what I was working on, working in, in this missions organization with the church, and began to fall in love with the church. And uh, I, I read 
two books that were massively significant for me. One was Passion for Jesus by Mike Bickle, and one was Desiring God by John Piper, very different authors, but both coming at exactly the right time in my life and, and really gripping my heart with a passion for Jesus, but also for, with a passion for His purposes in the world. And in the middle of that was the move of the Spirit in 94, which just, in a process of that, God really got hold of me and began to reshape my thinking, my life, and my future. And then uh, I moved to the UK, was in the UK for a number of years, uh, got married to a gorgeous, wonderful, beautiful girl, and uh, sadly she's not able to be with me. My kids gave me real uphill about uh, me coming on my own this time. They, they, they love, they, their last memory of North was uh, the Going Bananas group. And uh, so they're like, why do you get to go to this when we don't? So uh, I think I owe them New Day or something like that next year. But um, I uh, was in a meeting one day, and there was a guy, uh, an American guy, speaking at this meeting. And um, I was talking with him just before the meeting started. Uh, his name was Steve Nicholson. He led a vineyard church in, in the U.S., and uh, we're halfway through a conversation. This has never happened to me before or since. And uh, halfway through the conversation, he put his hand up in front of my, my face like this. And he said, stop. He said, I can't talk to you anymore. God's given me something for you and you're about to blow it. And he turned around and he walked away. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. And uh, then during the meeting, he asked me to stand up. And uh, he, he, he read my mail. It was the most incredible thing. He just read my mail, bunch of stuff that nobody in that room could possibly have told him uh, or known themselves. And then having done that, he began to prophesy about church planting. And uh, again, this theme of nations. And, um, and I remember getting in the car with the guys I'd gone to the meeting with. And uh, we we're, were all talking about this prophetic word. And I was like, oh, that was amazing. He was reading my mail. But the second part, like, I don't get the church planting bit. I don't think that's who I am. That's not what I'm about. And uh, so I remember a few years later, we're moving to plant a church in London, and uh, Sarah hit me on the, slapped me on the leg, and she said, Babe, we're church planting. <laughs> and for the first time, I thought, Steve Nicholson was right. And uh, so God has caught us up on a journey of church planting over the last while. It's fascinating. As we began to do that, we began to realize the whole of the New Testament after Jesus is written about a story of church planting, of new churches being started, of cities being impacted, of new leaders being trained and raised up, of challenges within those churches, trying to work out how you bring people through from the moment they're saved uh, but still rooted in their culture and bring them through into becoming genuine disciples of Jesus and finding their culture changed. And so there was this whole uh, world that God began to open up to us in terms of seeing the gospel as this adventure of church planting. And uh, it was a few years after that that God spoke to us again about moving and uh, we ended up moving to Vancouver to plant a church five years ago and uh, we're really excited about what God is doing with us as a church right now. We're about to launch seven Alpha courses this fall. And uh, we're starting a, um, 
uh, a new meeting on, uh, they're small alpha courses, I should say, they're not like massive alpha courses, they're just right around the, the city, but the, one of them uh, is our first uh, step into UBC, the, the University of British Columbia, uh, one of the biggest universities in Canada, and most significant universities, uh, 53,000 students, uh, 9,000 new students arriving on the 6th of September, and we are putting an alpha right there, and we're starting a meeting on the campus in January. So we're really excited about what God is doing, and I wanted to ask you a, a few questions before we get into this question of Daniel, I wanted to ask you some questions about yourself and about your future. See, God has made each one of us for His purposes. He's not just made you to wander aimlessly through life. Uh, he's not just made you to go on some uh, cultural idea of what it means to advance or progress in life. Actually, God has birthed each and every single one of us with purpose and that He has formed in, him, in His own mind before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 2, we read that God put uh, things in, in our lives to accomplish before the foundation of the world. So God made you for purpose. God has your life caught up in things that uh, right now you probably couldn't even imagine. But He imagines and he knows what he's called you for. And so I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to imagine 20 years from now. 20 years from now. Just, uh, just work out what age you'll be 20 years from now. Might seem a bit crazy. What age will you be 20 years from now? What do you hope you'll be doing? 20 years from now. Will you, be, will you be married? Do you hope to be married? Do you hope to have children? What kind of job will you be doing? Will you have a, a role that is involved in managing other people? Or maybe it's a specialist thing in your own right, something that you want to become expert at? Will you be at home with children? What will your sphere of influence be? Who, whose lives will you be connected with? Whose hearts will you be touching? Maybe you won't only touch individual lives, but you'll touch whole areas of people's lives, maybe through an organization, maybe, uh, maybe in a geographic area. Is there some particular kingdom fruit that you would love to see? Maybe it's uh, something to do with poverty, or maybe it's to do with salvation, or maybe it's to do with people being set free in some particular way. Now, if all of that is 20 years out, what will it take to get you there? What's the journey to get to the things, the dreams that God has put in your heart? What will you need to do 
over the years to achieve that? Is it more education? Training courses? Is it to prepare well for marriage? So healthy life skills? Is there a change of direction coming? Now, what I want you to do is just write down on your piece of paper what is the next step you need to take? Not, not ten steps, but just the next step you need to take. Just write it down. Or a step. Now, why am I asking this question? The reason I'm asking this question is that God has purposes for our lives, but we need to be intentional about beginning to own the things that God has for us and stepping forward. You see, the truth is, very rarely do people achieve wonderful things without being intentional about going about after those things. I uh, listened to a wonderful story just the other day, uh, a man by the name of Rob Glover. Rob was a social worker. Uh, He was in Guernsey. And about 20 years ago, uh, Dave Devonish happened to be uh, speaking at this church in Guernsey that Rob was going to. And uh, Dave Devonish pointed Rob out at the back of the meeting and he said, uh, you are going to be a father to hundreds of thousands. Now, uh, about six or seven years uh, ago, Rob ended up going to China with a friend. Uh, He'd always had a a desire to go to China and uh, a, a businessman was going to China to be involved in doing a deal there. And he was a friend of Rob's, and he knew that Rob always wanted to go to China. So he said to him, would you like to come with me to China? And so Rob uh, went along, and uh, one of the things they did was they went, I think it was a soccer match they went to. And uh, so Rob is sitting down, and a a gentleman sits next to him at the soccer match. And uh, he gets talking to this guy, and it comes out that this guy is the head of... um, the sort of family ministries in government. And so they get chatting, and this guy asks Rob what he does, and he's, well, I'm a social worker. And, and uh, so um, uh, they, they get into a, a conversation, and at the end of the game, this guy says to Rob, uh, I have a meeting with a bunch of agencies tomorrow. Would you consider coming and uh, being part of this meeting? And so Rob didn't have anything to do, particularly the following day. So he said, sure, I'd love to come along. And uh, the guy says, okay, my car will pick you up at your hotel at a certain time. And so the next morning, this car arrived, and he got in the car, and off he went to this meeting. And there at this meeting, um, this government minister was hearing from a number of charities 
their ideas of how to deal with China's uh, street children problem and the orphanages. And um, so they're all presenting their ideas. And at the end of all of their presentations, this man turned to Rob and he said, Rob, what would you do? How would you solve this problem? Well, Rob is a bit blown away by the question, but he sort of gives a bit of an answer. And within a few days, this guy has come back to Rob and said, we'd like you to take the contract for, I think it was the city of Shanghai, Um, we'd like you to help us transform all of our orphanages. And and Rob's whole thing was, I'd want to try and get kids back into families. That's what I would do. I want to get them out of the orphanages and into families. That that would be my thing. And so so he came back to him and he said, "Uh, I'd like you to take this on. So Rob, I, I don't know how he did this, but he moves his family to China and they start this whole thing of getting kids out of orphanages and into families. Well, after a, a little while of doing this, he gets a call from Beijing saying, we're so impressed with the work you're doing, we'd like it if you would come to Beijing and do this, not just for Shanghai, but for China. Well, to date, Rob has been involved in placing 300,000 orphans into families in China. And right now, their, their sites are sitting on, set on getting a million children out of orphanages and into families. See, God wants to do amazing... Now, if you asked Rob whether he ever thought that would happen in his life, he would absolutely never have imagined anything like that. But you see, the thing is, God would, and, and Rob would say to you, I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm a social worker from Guernsey. And the thing is that God wants to take us and use our lives, often in uh, ways that might actually seem extraordinary. God did not make you for mediocre. He made you for impact. No one, however, starts the journey thinking that their lives won't amount to much. All of us hope that our, li- that our lives will amount to something, don't we? The challenge is that we can start with good intentions, but if we don't put good disciplines in, if we don't get the small things right, generally the big things don't work out. So the big things that we might dream about all depend on the little things, the little disciplines that we sow into our lives in our early years. And that's why God's story of using Daniel, I think, is one of the most incredibly inspiring stories in the Bible. See, Daniel didn't ever lead a church. He never planted a church. Daniel was a guy who was involved in politics. And some of you in this room may well, be, may well spend your lives in politics. Some of you might spend your lives involved in poverty or other situations like that. But what I want to do is pick up three things from the life of Daniel and apply them for ourselves today in terms of things that we can sow now, things that you can put into practice today when you leave this room, that if you sow them into your lives, they will ultimately produce uh, 
a, 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 solid, a solidity that big things can rest on. Okay? So let's just pray together, and then I'm going to get into this question of Daniel. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you that you know every single one of us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you made each and every one of us, you made us with purpose. None of us are an accident. You foresaw our lives and you loved us from before we were born. Thank you, Lord, that you love your world. You love this world you've created. And you love everything in it. And you want to use us to be a blessing, not only to one another, but to the whole world. I pray that this morning you would grip our hearts for you and for the things that you have for us. In your wonderful name, amen. Okay, so, the story of Daniel. Just a very brief summary of how it starts. Nebuchadnezzar, Chaldean king, his uh, empire was based in Babylon, or his, his capital was Babylon, Susa. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar invaded uh, Jerusalem as part of the expansion of his empire. And one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did was wherever he went... He would take the brightest uh, and, and the, the descendants of royalty, the des- descendants of nobility, and he'd bring them back to Babylon, and he would enroll them in a three-year training program. And in that three-year training program, they would learn Babylonian culture, worldview, they'd learn the, the Babylonian religion, which would include things like divination, how you could uh, look at the stars and interpret them in terms of the future. You could take sheep's livers and things like that and work out uh, events that are going to happen. Uh, all part of Babylonian culture. They would uh, be trained in, in Babylonian literature. They'd be trained in terms of rulership. And uh, out of the brightest of those, he would select people to help him rule his empire. And so we find Daniel and three of his friends, and probably more, but there are three uh, other friends in the particular story of Daniel, taken away by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon, and they are uh, enrolled in this training program. And in this training program, they obviously begin to come under a certain amount of pressure. Uh, one of the things that happens is that they're given new names. Daniel, his, his name means uh, Elohim is my judge. The Lord is my judge. And he was given a new name. His new name was Belteshazzar. Bel was uh, one of the Babylonian gods. And uh, Belteshazzar means uh, Bel will protect me. And uh, so, so even right to their identity, their name uh, is changed for them as part of this process. We want to make you a Babylonian. And so Daniel and his friends, uh, they begin to resist the pressure. They make a radical decision to separate themselves from the religion of the day. They obviously continued to learn the literature and the culture and to, to understand that. But there were two things that they decided that they would do. They wouldn't eat the meat uh, that the Babylonians eat, uh, ate. And the reason for that was that the meat would be offered to idols first and then it would be eaten. And so 
this was a way that they could say, no, we're setting ourselves aside just to be for God. And the wine, the same. Uh, the wine would be offered to the idols first. and then So they said to their, uh, to their, their keepers, listen, we don't want to, to defile ourselves with the meat and the wine. Just feed us vegetables. And uh, there was a process that they went through before uh, that was, they were allowed to do that. But in making this stand, God blessed them. And he blessed them in three areas. They became stronger and fitter uh, than the other guys. They were uh, spiritually uh, full of grace, full of, they saw things. Daniel began to have the ability to interpret dreams. And so God was blessing them and they became mentally very sharp. In fact, when they appear before Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is amazed. And he says, Daniel is ten times more wise than any of my other uh, philosophers and magicians. Now, I'm sure that's not a, spe- a real ten times, but, but there's something about these guys that is so sharp that Nebuchadnezzar brings them right into his uh, senior leadership of the nation. Now, fast forward 60 years. Okay? I asked you to fast forward 20 years a moment ago. But fast forward 60 years. Daniel has now served under three Babylonian emperors. And in 539 BC, the Persian Empire attacks the Babylonian Empire. Babylonian Empire falls. And Darius the Mede is is placed in authority over the province of Babylonia. And there are 120 officials, I call satraps, that are put over the, over the province. And uh, over those 120 satraps, there are three men who are placed in authority over the satraps. And Daniel is one of them. But Daniel excels himself so much that Darius decides, I'm going to make him the main guy. Kind of like the, the prime minister, uh, you could say, of Babylonia. Well, the others weren't so keen on that idea. They didn't like... Uh, the idea of Daniel being over them. And so they plotted to discredit him in, Dan, in, in Darius's eyes. And after seeking a way to discredit Daniel, they couldn't find a way. So they said, the only way we can discredit this guy is basically by uh, f- forcing a situation to do with his God. And so they went to Darius and they said, listen, uh, would you sign an edict that for 30 days no one in the empire is allowed to pray to any god except you, Darius? They appeal to his ego. Uh, and if they do, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. And so um, Darius signs this into this edict. And we pick up the story in Daniel 6, verse 10. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Or one other translation says, as was his habit. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, 
should be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the lot of exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king, and they said to the king, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Now, we all know the end of the story, don't we? That God saved him from the lions, and... uh, that ultimately he was restored to his position. But I want to highlight three things from this passage. The first is that Daniel prioritized his relationship with God. See, the first thing we saw about Daniel was him making this radical decision under pressure to put his relationship with God first. That's what he did when he was brought into Nebuchadnezzar's household he made a decision to prioritize his relationship with God. And what's fascinating is that 60 years later, that relationship with God is still the key thing that he prioritizes. Even when he was under pressure, he chose to deny himself the luxuries of the kingdom and to seek after God. Now, number one thing, that is critical for each one of us is the internal decision to pursue God for yourself. You know, it's often easy, isn't it, when we're in a crowd to go along with what the crowd is doing. It's easy when we're caught up in a church sometimes to kind of go with the flow. The, The challenge comes when we're on our own, sometimes that's in front of friends in a in a university classroom or in a workplace situation, the question there becomes, where, where is your relationship with God? Does it, does it fuel you or are you caught up with uh, something that you're just kind of in a mix of people with? This is a challenge, friends, that every single one of us face. Uh, it's kind of like Lee was talking about yesterday when he said, you know, we, we fail... And yet God restores us and and allows our faith to keep us going through. One of the key things that a guy like Lee has done over the years has prioritized his own walk with Jesus. And so walking with Jesus doesn't mean you won't fail, as we heard yesterday. But it does mean that something will be built in your own life that is like a pillar. It's like a pillar running through the core of your body. 
that has strength to hold stuff. And whatever weight is put on that, if that is strong, you'll find that you're able not only to survive, but to thrive in that situation. And this is exactly what we find Daniel has done. Through three changes of emperor, and ultimately through another change of empire, Daniel has been sustained by a vital walk with God. And it involves solitude. You know, I remember uh, in my own life, God taught me the value of solitude. Solitude is a really important part of our relationship with God. Do you remember Daniel, uh, David, up on the hills around Bethlehem? Where did his relationship with God really start? Well, I submit to you that it started in those hills where he learned to write his first songs, where he learned to trust God with the bear and with the lion and ultimately taught him how to trust God with Goliath where he learned to look after sheep and ultimately learned how to look after the people of Israel, where he learned to love God and ultimately that was worked out through the worship of Israel, the ark coming back into Jerusalem, being established, preparation made for the temple. You see, all of that started, all of the stuff he accomplished started on his own on a mountainside with a bunch of sheep in solitude. That's where he started. And actually, that's where each one of us starts. See, Daniel had to make that decision against the pressure of people who are uh, saying, no, we want you to live this way. We want you to believe these things. Daniel had to stand against that. I remember God did the same with me in my early 20s. And I spent this time in this missions organization. It was based outside the city. I didn't have a car, so I couldn't get out off, off the campus. And so often in the evenings and the weekends, I found myself alone. And that was a critical time for me. That in the midst of loneliness, I found God. Now, maybe that you find yourself lonely. Take it as an opportunity to invest in your relationship with God. One of the challenges that we all face is the fact that we have devices that are continually connecting us to other people. And part of this engaging with God involves shutting out all of those distractions, saying, I won't engage with that. Putting, for us, putting rhythms, times into the day where we're not going to engage with those things so that we can feed our relationships with God. We have to be very intentional about these things. In fact, I would say we have to be more intentional than we had to 20 years ago when we didn't have social media in the way that we do now. See, Daniel was in this habit. He'd fashioned this process of praying three times a day. He would withdraw. Isn't that fascinating? He's in high office in government. But what does he do? Three times a day, he goes back to his house. He climbs up into an upper room with an open window, and he looks out of that window and he prays. And everyone can see him. That's the thing, isn't it? About the amazing thing about this story is that when they say to him, uh, oh, by the way, Daniel, the king has just signed this edict. No one's allowed to pray for 30 days. I don't know about you, but I might be tempted to think, well, it's only 30 days. 
It's only 30 days that I have to obey this edict. Or maybe, do you know what? I'm still going to pray, but I just won't do it by the open window. But not Daniel. Daniel just, as it always is, as is my habit, God comes first. I don't care about this edict. I'm going to pray. So we find a guy who has so prioritized his prayer life that it is maybe even an easy decision for him. Your prayer life will define everything. I'm not sure I can say that with more emphasis. Your prayer life, your own connection with God. And I don't mean a crusty prayer life. I mean a a process of loving God of enjoying His presence, of engaging with Him, of receiving His love. But Terry giving a great little illustration uh, in a message that I heard recently. He said, you know, sometimes uh, we have it in the Northern Hemisphere where you have the sun shining during, during the autumn or the spring where the sun shines at an angle and on one side of the street you can walk in the nice warm sun and then the other side of the street you walk in the shade and it's cold. Do you, you know what I mean? The, those kinds of days. And you can, you can walk down the street on those kinds of days in the shadow and, and you can look and you can see the sun is shining. But you don't feel it. And actually we can live our lives like that. We can live our lives in the shadow. We can live our lives walking down the street knowing the love of God is there but not experiencing it. And there's a very simple thing we have to do. We have to cross over. There's an intentional thing we have to do. We have to step into the sunlight. And then you know what will happen? You'll feel warm. You'll experience it. You'll encounter the living God. The second thing about Daniel is that he became a great servant. You know, we talk a lot about becoming great leaders, don't we? Our, our culture is fascinated by leadership. And, and of course... That's one of the things that we are talking about this week, what it is to to grow into leadership, to taking more responsibility. But actually, the world needs great servants. The world needs more servants. The world needs people who are happy to lay down their lives for the sake of others. And servants, uh, the best leaders are those that know how to serve well. The, the best followers tend to make the best leaders because they've learned how to submit their own agenda to somebody else. They've learned how to follow somebody else. They've learned how to take hold of somebody else's vision and make that happen. And so the, the best leaders are those who have become servants first. One of the things about great servants is that they're loyal to those that they serve. They become trusted because of their loyalty. It's not just because they do a good job. I wonder whether you've noticed that. I wonder whether this is why Darius was so fond of Daniel. I mean, when you read this story, Darius, Darius has got equity in this thing, doesn't he? He does not want this to happen to Daniel. Darius tries to work against his own edict. Why? Because He loves Daniel because something about his relationship with Daniel means that Daniel is important to him. And so something about the way Daniel has served Darius makes Darius feel 
Daniel is important to me. Daniel matters. Now, loyalty is not an attribute we talk about a lot. But actually it's a really important one. It's a very godly attribute. I remember I was in a situation uh, in a church back in South Africa where I was serving in this church and the church was very stretched. We were involved in ministry to the poor and uh, the whole situation was very stretched. I was in a, in a, in a challenging situation and um, my, my parents and my friends uh, said to me that they felt that, they, that I was being taken advantage of, that, that where I was at was not a good place, that, uh, they, and they questioned the judgment of those who were leading. And I remember beginning to process this and beginning to ask God, what do I do about this? And I felt God highlighted to me David and Saul. Now, Saul was hunting David to kill him, wasn't he? And yet David, rather than fighting back, David chose to, say, to remain loyal to Saul and to reach out to Saul at every opportunity that he could where it was safe to do so. David refused to fight against Saul. He, he used words like, should a man like I touch the Lord's anointed? He respected who Saul was in God. Now, Saul was abusing him. I wasn't in a situation where I was being abused at all. But nevertheless, God spoke to me through this situation. Where, and, and he taught me something very valuable about loyalty. And so out of that, I made the decision, I'm going to stay on and serve these guys in the best way that I possibly can. Now, actually, it was through that situation that I ended up moving to the UK and being involved in church planting. So, in the grace of God, that situation was critical to my own journey. What about you? See, it's very easy for us to criticize those who lead us. And sometimes it's when you're in the shoes of a leader that you realize how hard it is to please everyone. Actually, that you never will please everyone. And that you need to do what God's called you to do. But often that brings you into conflict with people. Criticizing leaders is part of our culture. But if we want to grow in godliness, we need to learn how to be loyal and to serve really well. So here's a, here's a question for you. Can those who lead you trust you? Would they feel my life is safe in your hands? It's a great question to ask yourself. How will I respond to leadership? The third thing, the final thing is this. Refuse to compromise. We had a situation in our church where uh, we're in our church plant in Vancouver where we're just starting to press into spiritual gifts. And so uh, it's a small group, smaller than this. Uh, we're all sitting in a, in a room together, or we're all worshiping in a room together. And I would say, okay, uh, does anyone feel like God is speaking to them? And we had some dreadful <laughs> I really mean it. We had some dreadful moments. Like, we had this one moment where I, I said, okay, uh, we're in the presence of God. Does anyone feel like they've got something from God for us all? This guy stands up and he says, 
Well, I don't believe there's only one way to God. I think there are many different paths to God. There are many different religions. I'm going, oh. <laughs> so I said, thanks so much, my friend. Actually, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so thanks so much for your contribution. But we want to just uh, own what Jesus says. And he got up and he walked out. I thought, <laughs> and then, like a, the next week, um, I open it up, and this guy, um, he's come into the meeting, sunglasses on, it's an evening meeting, he's, you know, hair out to here, and he suddenly starts going, we gotta sing gospel, we gotta sing gospel, we gotta sing gospel, and he starts bouncing, and, and, and it's like, what on earth is going on with this guy? And so I said, thanks so much, my friend. It's great to have you here. We love the gospel. Let's just wait and hear if God has something to say to us. And so the next guy that speaks, well, I was in Burnaby Hospital, and the Satanists came, and they started dragging me up the mountain. And I'm like, no way. Please, someone who loves Jesus, just say something at this point. So I said, thanks so much, my friend. Great to hear your story. We just want to take a moment to listen and see if God wants to say something to us. This is the Lord. No, no, that we, I'll happily chat to you afterwards. Love to hear your story. But we're just going to wait for God to speak to us. Sorry, man. Sorry. Sorry, hey. Uh, so I'm like, oh, Lord, come on. Come on. And, and, and I've got guys coming to me at the end of the meeting saying... Do we really have to do this spiritual gift stuff? Do we really have to do this? Like, this is, this is like pulling teeth. But you know what? On Sundays now, we regularly have great people bringing great prophetic words, uh, building the church up, prophesying, uh, bringing tongues and interpretation. We had to fight through that. And we had to say, you know what? Even though we're getting wacky stuff, we're going to press through this season because we're believing that part of our inheritance is God speaking to us regularly on a Sunday as we gather together. It's part of our inheritance. And so we had to make that decision. We won't compromise. I uh, heard a story just recently of a, a lady who was supporting her husband who was at theological college. This lady uh, was working for a pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, business and she, uh, and she was a quality control um, officer and a, 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 a whole batch of syringes had been created and, 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 and produced uh, but something had gone wrong in the processing and um, as, she as she began to look at these syringes she said uh, they're not safe for use and her boss began to do the figures and realized how much it would cost uh, the business, and he, he began to put pressure on her uh, to make the decision to, um, uh, to, to sign these syringes off. And she said, no, I, I, I can't do that. And so the next morning, the CEO of the whole uh, international business walked in to the office and said to her, uh, I need a decision, to you, uh, a decision from you in terms of signing off on these syringes, and I need it by Monday. And uh, she said over that weekend, their whole theological study on, uh, in terms of what, uh, what they believed in came to a head. You see, if she lost her job, um, he wouldn't be able to go to 
school anymore. He wouldn't be able to continue with his theological education. How, how would they survive? Monday morning she goes and she says, I'm sorry, I cannot sign these syringes. And she loses her job. And, uh, you know, the reality is sometimes we have to pay prices for things. Sometimes we have to make that decision. I'm not going to compromise. The wonderful thing that we see in this story, what's the end of the story? The end of the story is that God shuts the mouths of the lions, isn't it? And that Darius comes the next morning and, and calls out to Daniel, and Daniel says, I'm, I'm alive. The Lord shut the mouths of the lions. And so he gathers up all of those who conspired against Daniel, throws them in the lions, and they all get killed within moments by the lions. And Daniel is restored to his position now as the number one guy after Darius. Karen, the lady in this story about the syringes, uh, what happened was that the client who, who was buying the syringes uh, asked, why, why has there been a delay in our shipment? Began to investigate. Discovered what had happened through some inside source and approached Karen and said, we'd like you to come to work for us at a higher rate than they were paying you previously. See, they valued her integrity and said, we'll have you on our staff team. God is able to meet your needs when you choose to refuse to compromise. And making those decisions early on will stand you in great stead for the rest of your life. Why don't we just stand together? Okay, let's just turn our attention to God. Just close your eyes for a moment. Just turn your attention to God. And your focus to Him. Learning how to focus on God is one of those key things to developing our relationship with Him. Draw your focus. I just want to say, Abba, Father. Love you, Lord. Quieten down all the different thoughts in your heart. See yourself on here. You were created by Christ Jesus. For Christ Jesus. All the days of your life are written in His book. He knows you're going out and you're coming in. He knows your thoughts from afar. Even if you go to the ends of the earth, He is there. He's put His DNA into you. As you came to faith in Jesus, you were cast with a new DNA. He has great purposes for you. Purposes to bring the kingdom into every aspect of life. Just take a moment. Ask God to help you make bold, radical decisions. We can choose comfort 
or we can choose God. But often we can't choose both. We have to make our decisions early. Ask him to come and meet with you. Blow afresh, blow on us. We want to walk in the sunshine. We want to know your love. We want to be able to shut down all the other stuff that mods our attention at the moment of every day. To center ourselves about what really matters and who you are. If you will listen to God in this moment, I think we've to you. And God more than willing to speak to me. The question is, there are that Lord pray that you just speak to each other pray that you you bring freedom to this place that there be a sense Lord where that I can't do this I thought to release some of you in terms of the things that you dream about like over the last while there have been voices or words that have been spoken about you can't do that. Can't do that. I feel like God's going to bring a release to you to, to breathe fresh. Yes, in the Lord I can. In the Lord I can. Lord I will. For some of you right now, opportunity just to to do business with God, to say to Him, Lord, I haven't prioritized you and relationship with you, but I really want to. Help me. The thing about prayer isn't about starting and never stopping. It's about restarting each time. It's about building a habit. My interaction with my wife is on the go. I love those times when I sit over a meal with her. God wants to share heart. Share heart. He's got a very big heart.
life that this is he has for you. Why don't you just in your own words respond? Nothing, my husband. Holy Spirit, more love. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Just keep, uh, just keep in the moment you're in. I'm just giving you then something that I believe God wants to uh, share this morning, and it was um, the sense that. For some of you, God would say to you, you're putting on the wrong footwear and you're, you're waking up and you're putting on the wrong footwear and had a few, um, a few thoughts around that. And I think for some of you, it feels like that you're actually waking up and you put flippers on. And I don't know if you've ever tried to like walk to the sea forward in flippers. You can't really. You can only walk backwards. Um, and with that, I felt like God would say that for some of you, maybe you feel like you're in a place where you are just kind of walking backwards, really, or you feel like you're step, stepping backwards, whether that's disappointment or whether you feel like you're making choices that you're not moving forward. Um, and the second thing was, men probably won't relate to this, but if you're wearing high heels and you go to some swanky wedding and then you walk on some lovely green lawn and your heels get stuck, um, the sense that some of you might feel like you're wearing stilettos and actually when you try to walk, your heel just gets stuck and just gets stuck in the mud and it's really difficult to move forward um, and the third footwear was that, um, experiencing it myself a bit when it starts to rain here, you're wearing flip flops and you just start to kind of like slide a bit, you can't quite get your grip um, so I think three things there that God will be speaking to some of you about, for some of you I think it's this sense of it's really hard to move forward actually and I need God to come and give me faith to move forward from this kind of stepping um, the other thing that some of you just feel stuck actually you feel maybe in a stagnant place maybe in a frustrating place maybe in a hurting place and God wants to come and uh, lift the heel out of the ground so that you can walk forwards again and thirdly maybe you're in a place where you feel like you just can't get a grip and you're kind of sliding about and you're like God please come and kind of navigate me forward really and, and be my grip so I was also just thinking after that, I was just asking God what, what he would say really and I was reminded of when Moses before the burning bush and he says actually the place where you're standing is holy ground. The place where we all stand when we know Jesus Christ is holy ground. I'm going to do it myself actually, it says stand barefoot and, and the place where you're standing is holy ground and I don't know if some of you now maybe just want to take your footwear off and just stand barefoot on the ground and actually 
know that we stand in Jesus' kingdom. We'll just take a moment now to just to just stand barefoot in that place or, or show your surrender in some way, show, show your humbling before God now that you really do, do mean business when you want to come before him and, and follow his guidance in your life because he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And as we said, it's, it's not about us not failing. It's not about us not walking backwards sometimes. It's not about us not getting our feet stuck. It's not about us finding it hard when we're sliding all over the shape, actually. It's about knowing God's grace as we, as we come before him and we hold out our empty cup and we, we receive his grace once again and we step forward in faith asking God to be our, be our pillar, to be our, be our core. This is a Moses moment right now for some of you. And you're to be obedient. Take off your shoes. It was a command. There's a command coming from heaven right now. For some of you, you haven't. You need to. Take off your shoes. This is, I'm not going backwards anymore. I'm going forwards. This is, I'm not remaining stuck anymore. I'm moving forwards. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. There's going to be a, a change from today. There's a Moses moment for many of you where it's no longer going backwards all the time. It's no longer staying still. It's going forward. Step by step, every prayer, a powerful weapon. Strongholds come tumbling down in Jesus' name right now. And some of you, just be obedient right now and take off your shoes and say, I hear you, Holy Spirit. I hear you, Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. I'm going forwards now in you. I'm going forwards in Jesus. Come, Lord God. Come, Lord God. I just feel for you, mate. I feel like God was speaking to me throughout the meeting for you. I feel like there's been a real contesting over your health recently. Um, I feel like there's been um, some real like medical issues going on. Uh, maybe wrong. Um, I, I feel like um, there's there's a real call over your life for church leadership, and uh, there's been this real kind of burning desire to do it. I think even maybe if you've seen Reese up here today, you were like, God, I I, I want to be doing that. And God says, he said this to me uh, years ago, and I feel like he said it to you today. He's pulling you back like a catapult, and he's going to fire you into different nations. And you're going to preach the gospel, and you're going to see incredible miracles in your life. And the contesting over your health that you've seen is actually giving you faith in the storm to confront other storms in people's lives. And I just see you commanding sickness to go, and I see you seeing people receive incredible miracles. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord God. Keep just encountering him right now. More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord God. I just feel like um, I might just come and touch on the shoulder for you, mate. Yeah, just for you. Just, um, just that God would just affirm in you just what a well of compassion you are. And actually that you have a deep well of compassion in you and then that is a gift from the Lord for you and actually don't walk in the shadows don't walk in the shadows and feel like that is a small part of God's heart because his heart is bursting with compassion and I just pray today that you would know that you are a woman of compassion and that you may weep at things you may see helpless situations but actually the gift of compassion is is the voice of God to you and it's the voice of the voice that you will bring of God to a hurting people and actually as his kingdom comes in that people will dance free and don't undermine the gift of compassion in your life
you just want to respond now, you know God's on you, God's doing some big stuff with you, maybe this is Moses' moment for you today, you just be uh, vulnerable and open, just put your hand up where you are, and we'd love to just gather around you and pray for you. If, if you know God's doing some stuff with you, thank you. Just put your hand up where you are, and us as leaders or other guys will gather around you and pray for you. Don't miss this opportunity. Thank you. There's one there. So if you could just, if you're not um, putting your hand up, turn around and just find someone. And, and God's going to speak to you for them, okay? Um, there's a time to pray, but there's also a time to prophesy. And we prophesy together, and we weigh these things. It aligns with Scripture. It's encouraging. It's not rebuking. We don't do match, hatch, dispatch. Um, okay, we encourage and pray. But let's prophesy. And it isn't encouraging how Reese started with those two stories, that actually it was in a meeting that God spoke about destiny. And let's believe that now, as we go around and prophesy over, that he will reveal the secrets of people's hearts and that he will speak destiny and life into their hearts. Is that all right? So if that's you, just wave your hand where you are, and we're going to come around and we're going to listen to God for you and prophesy over you. Is that all right? So give us a wave if, if that hasn't been you. If you're not waving right now, come and gather around some other people. There's a, a waver there too. So let's move around, guys. Come on. And the, the back, if there's someone waving, wave. So the, the meeting went out, we'll just fizzle out, um, and if, if you need to go on, that's fine, but we're just going to pray and prophesy here, and you stay as long as you want, okay? Let's go.